What's going on, guys? My name is David Gibbs. I am the host and founder of this podcast, SIDcast, a podcast resource dedicated to telling stories and sharing the experiences of the sports information and athletic communications profession. Before we get any further into today's episode, I would like you to go over to iTunes or wherever you get this podcast and leave us a rating and review. It helps the show to grow up on the charts as well as continue to tell the SID story. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Infocast and sign up for our newsletter at sidcast.fireside.fm slash newsletter. Now, let's get into today's conversation. So the past couple of episodes that we've had um, have been recorded the, the old-fashioned way. Uh, that being I recorded it with my phone. Um, that is because uh, Zencaster, my recording things that we that we have, um, they had a server issue, and which meant that a lot of people weren't able to connect. Um, Aaron was unable to connect with that. Uh, that was kind of on the tail end of the, the issues that they had. Uh, they claimed they were good, and then they sent another follow-up email saying that they worked out a few more kinks uh, because some some podcasters were claiming that, um, in fact, they were could still not record, and uh, that was the problem we had today. But uh, nonetheless, super happy that Aaron Sagrace came back on. Um, if you didn't know Aaron, I mean, we were going on maybe two three years since uh, we actually had him on the first time around. He was the SID at Cornerstone at the time. Uh, he has now been elevated to AD. Um, these are more conversations that I want to have uh, with former SIDs who have since moved on into higher uh, positions within their own department, maybe even other departments. Um, so this is kind of the first of that, where uh, we'll talk to Aaron Sagraves, who um, took over on his alma mater of Cornerstone. And then uh, is now worked all the way up to being the uh, the AD. Um, we'll talk about uh, where you're at. I mean, what what even is the purpose of your department within your university? Where do you guys see yourself? What kind of recruits do you want on campus? I mean, these are all the questions that you have to ask, and that's that's kind of what we did today. Um, before I get any further into that, um, a bit of a personal note: if you haven't seen on my. Uh, on my Twitter, or if you're not a friend, my friend on Facebook or on Instagram or anything like that, um, I am engaged to uh, Morgan Rowe. She is now mine forever, so she's stuck, and you cannot have her. She is mine. Um, did that last Saturday, the uh, February first. Uh, I made a uh, Instagram AR filter. You know those randomizer things that you'll see um, with uh, Marvel Studios, like which which uh, superhero are you, or you'll have like a Disney princess one. Um, I did that, except I did it with uh, all our pictures, and I slid in the uh, the ring pick so that she could see it for like maybe a fraction of a second. And she didn't really like comprehend what it was to begin with. And then it's, it's, the more and more she starts seeing it, she was like, wait a second, <laughs> this, is, this is real. So um, that was a ton of fun. Uh, but yeah, just wanted to kind of toot my own horn there for a second. I'm, I'm really, really, really happy to say the least. So yeah, let's get back to, uh, today's episode and you can watch that video, by the way, I made her record herself. That's the only way the uh, randomizers work if you record yourself. So I'm going to do that. If you follow me on uh, Twitter at D Gibson digital, 
or if you're a friend of mine on Facebook or you follow me on Instagram at David Gibson SID, um, you can see that video over and over and over and over again if you want, like I've been doing. So uh, anyway, back to today's episode. We will start off with uh, episode 148. We are damn near close to episode 150, guys, of SID Cast with Aaron Saygraves of the Cornerstone Golden Eagles. And uh, if he ever wanted, if he ever had any athletic director ambitions right here, on SID Cast. No, <laughs> not at all. Um, honestly, when I first started like having a love for sports, I wanted to go into sports broadcasting. Um, I loved. Um, Stuart Scott. He was the person yeah. that kind of like grabbed my attention as a high schooler, like early high schooler, late high schooler, uh, going into college. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be the guy on the camera, telling the jokes, telling the story. Uh, that was when Sports Center was actually fun. Um, you know, you had the Keith Olbermans and the Dan Patricks and Stuart Scotts and people that just made it fun. Um, so that's what I wanted to be. I had no intention of going into athletic administration or even sports information. I just wanted to be out there to be at sports and talk about the game because that's that's what we did as kids. You watched the games and you recapped it and you put a joke by it because of Stuart Scott. Um, that's really what I wanted to do when I grew up. How did you prepare yourself for that in that way? Yeah, when I went to Cornerstone as a student, um, you know, a long time ago, um, they had a, like a broadcasting degree that was just getting started like a video broadcasting degree that was just getting started. Um, so that's kind of how I got into it. Uh, I wanted to do some broadcasting. We started doing a little bit of audio broadcast mm-hmm. for the basketball team when I was a student. And so that's kind of how I got going with that. By the time I was a junior, they hadn't finalized the degree plan for that. So I said, hey, I better change this before I get too far into this. Uh, so I just changed to a basic communications degree. But at that same time, I was actually falling in love with sharing the story of the student athlete and covering them, uh, photography, social media was just starting at that point. Um, so ways to market the programs and our men's basketball team here, it was really good. Uh, they were making Final Four runs. Uh, they won a national championship. And so it was just I, I had that the immediate glue of like, oh, this could be something fun to do for the rest of my life. And I never, it's never been a job to me ever, hmm. not one day. There's definitely days that are terrible. Um, you know, you look at budget reports and you look at uh, admissions meetings sometimes that aren't the most fun thing in the world, but um, it, it's never been a job. And I think that's why I, I have so much fun with it. So how did you get involved with the sports information Uh what was kind of your first taste like? I mean, you wanted to be in broadcast. Obviously, you had to work with the SID at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't really have an SID. Hmm. Uh, it was our women's soccer coach and our women's basketball coach. They kind of shared the responsibilities of doing statistics, um, of doing articles. It wasn't like an SID position. Uh, they just kind of did it on the side to make them full-time, essentially. Um, so I actually, as a student in the sports information office, um, did a lot of I did almost all the statistics for all of our teams. So soccer, softball, volleyballs, the basketballs. Those those kind of main teams. There's so many sports now that are new that we didn't have back then. Um, so that's kind of how I just fell in love with it and fell and, and got experience of so just working, doing stuff that they 
wanted me to do because they were coaching, they were recruiting, they mm-hmm. were scouting, they were, you know, they're game planning. So I, I did it for them. Um, and I loved it. I didn't, again, it never felt like a job to me because I just I was at every game. I had front row seat to every single big game and uh-huh. big games back in the day. Our men's basketball team, like I said, like noted earlier, they're making runs to the national championship game, the final fours. Um, our volleyball team went to the national tournament one year, so I get to cover them in a different capacity. So it just became fun, and I just I fell in love. What were some of the things that they had you do, and uh, what kind of differed? What 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 were those responsibilities like differing from then to now? Oh my goodness, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have like the old school stuff, like uh-huh. the the guys that had to fax in box scores, and I I didn't have that. I didn't. I wasn't the the creation of DOS. I, I, that wasn't me and Stat Crew, but I, I never I never really understood how we communicated. How we communicate now with how we communicated back then is night and day. After a game, we used to get on the phone and call every media outlet with the score of the game, the high score, uh, the goal scores, whatever it might be. We had to make those phone calls. We had to be very intentional with who we were doing. Now. We just get on and post it on Twitter, post it on Facebook, and post it on Instagram, or whatever it might be. There's no human connection now. Like there, I don't say there's no. There's a lack of human connection. Um, where before, like I used to go down and visit the people at the TV station and pitch a story to them. Now you shoot them, an, you shoot them an email, right? Or you, mm-hmm. you tweet at them, you include them in your tweet. Um, and so I think it's just so much different in that context of how we communicate. Um, I mean, live stats is incredible. You never had that. You know, people had to come to the game and keep stats on their own piece of paper, like the high scores and the baseball. Uh, people still do that in games. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Ball score sheet. Um, that's not, you don't have to do that anymore. It's there for you. You can print it off after the game if you want to. Um, so it's just different the way we communicate what's going on in our department. So let me ask you this, and I think I already know the question to that. So how did that experience uh, shape how – you are in your role now i mean even when you were at sid and now you've transitioned to the ad role i mean how much did that benefit you oh i think it's huge and i i would strongly encourage people that are in communication roles to take higher administrative roles within their own institution if they can because it's it's allowed me one from a balance standpoint or a organizational standpoint as a sports information guy or gal you had to be extremely organized especially if you're in a a small college setting where you have to do all 24 sports or um you're the broadcaster the stats the pa and the the scoreboard person i've Mm -hmm. done that where i've done all those together you have to be so organized in that context and i think now as being the ad like if you aren't if you i'm not organized and i don't have things in row things just kind of go haywire there's definitely days that go haywire in my role no doubt about it but i think the more organized I learned in that context of sports information and communicating with so many different people uh, and putting on so many different hats at one time, it's helped me to be able to relate to my staff now of like, I know what you're going through because I've been there. I've done multiple roles within the department. Um, in the two universities that I've been at, I've done all those things. I've done facilities. I've done uh, sports information. I've done PA announcing. I've done, you know, broadcast. I've done all those things. So you learn to balance those things. So I, that's probably the, one of the biggest things that I've learned that's not really anything different in the AD role. What about some SIDs that may be a little bit reluctant to do that or maybe, I mean, it's okay to, to have a little anxiety about, you know, 
asking for those higher roles, maybe even taking on a little bit different responsibility. But what would you say? I mean, you've already listed it a little bit, but what are the huge benefits maybe even personally for those people who, uh, you know, just take the chance and ask? Yeah. I think being connected to multiple parts of the department is probably the start to that. Mm -hmm. Where if you just go into your athletic director's office, and I would assume most SIDs report to the AD. I know there's still some campuses where the SID might report to University Com or University Marketing or Public Relations Office. Um, but I would say try to be more connected to your campus because it allows you to learn how everything works on a college campus. And obviously the higher you are, the Division One school, the Power Five, whatever that might be, that's a little bit harder because mm-hmm. sports is, is it's kind of its, its own entity on a college campus at a Big Ten school or a Pac-12 school, whatever that might be. So it's a little bit more difficult, but for small colleges, I think it's a little bit easier for you to branch out and be connected to multiple people on campus. And that gives you kind of that experience that when you do go to your AD and do go to the administration level, you know how things function as a whole campus. Where I would say in my early stages of being SID, I had no clue what I was doing. I just Mm. did stats, I did articles, I did broadcasting. But the more I learned about how athletics fits into the campus community and the campus culture, that's when I'm like, okay, administrative stuff actually sounds appealing to me. Um, And then I try to be involved as much as I can within athletics, not just when I was sports formation, not just in that aspect, but fundraising, recruiting, um, compliance, athletic training, and just getting to know those people because they help me understand how my role fit into the big picture. Yeah, awesome. Well, you did kind of talk about those early days of you being an SID. And like you said, graduate cornerstone, obviously something you got to find something. So I mean, what was life like at that time for you? Um, you stayed kind of in the in the West. I don't know why you're smiling. Uh, I, I know you stayed in the uh, Western Michigan area. So um, what was all that like? Oh, goodness. Um, those three years in between graduation and starting at Davenport, uh, I don't know how many different jobs I held at that time, especially all at one time. Hmm. Um, I was still heavily involved in the golf course. Uh, I was I played golf in college, uh, played competitive golf for quite a while, and I, I had a job at a golf course since I was 14, I think, wow. um, just doing caddying at a local yeah. golf course. And so that led to some opportunities uh, throughout college and then even after college. Of I was an assistant pro at a golf course, but in Michigan – that only lasts from mm, April, you know, late March to late October. So mm-hmm. what are you going to do from October to April? Uh, and that's when I offer my help to continue on as kind of a, a student worker, a graduate assistant, whatever you might call it, at Cornerstone. So I was doing those two. Uh, I coached high school sports, high school basketball. I coached for a few years. Uh, I was coaching club sports with my uh, my wife and I kind of in that transition period between graduating and going to Davenport, we got married. Um, And so I had that chance to coach some club volleyball with her. Uh, That's her big passion. And so, um, yeah, just did a bunch of different stuff in there, just basically to pay bills, pay for a ring, uh, Mm. buy a house, you know, like those kind of things, like kind of get your life started. Uh, And then the opportunity came open at Davenport. Uh, I know the people that listen to this now, Davenport's got 40, I think they're above 40 sports now, if I could give a good guess. Um, But when I started, they had six. Um, 
saying people can't even fathom that we played our basketball and volleyball matches at uh, a local middle school. Uh, we didn't have a we didn't have a, a student center. Our offices for our coaches was in a classroom in the bottom of the academic building. Like we were all in one in one classroom. So we had a cubicle of men's basketball, women's basketball, volleyball. Didn't yeah. have baseball and softball when I started. We we're all in one classroom. Um, so just it, we we grew from six sports to thirty four sports when I left Davenport um, in less than eight years. So that that was a tremendous opportunity to grow and and become what I am today. So let me ask you this. I mean, you, you went from basically an infancy of an athletic department to now they're Division two. I mean, they even upgraded ever since then, which is weird to me because, you know, I was in the WAC. So um, knowing what you know about how athletics fits in the campus culture and the kind of the strategic vision through the campus, um, what would you say, I mean, what, looking back, what was some insightful things you learned about uh, that department moving from six sports, you're in a classroom, you don't have a home gym to 34, even 40 plus sports now, some esports stuff, some hockey, some football that people might not even been able to imagine for Davenport back then. Oh, you could go a lot of different routes there. I think, and this isn't, this isn't a knock against Davenport or, a, or a, an upkeep or uptake of what Cornerstone is, but schools see athletics all differently. Mm-hmm. Um, small colleges see athletics all pretty similarly because of enrollment, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm learning more and more about that as the athletic director. Like, we are a huge part of enrollment. And if we didn't have athletics on our campus, it, does our campus stay open? Um, I don't know the answer to that. I do know the answer for a lot of schools. The answer is definitely if they didn't have athletics, they would not be open as a school. And so, but the way that Davenport did it is we we invested a lot of money when I was there into athletics and became good. Like they were really good at a lot of different sports, and it helped attract the non-athletic student. And I think that was huge, and it's such a great advantage that they had is they went from a USCAA member in 2003 when they first started athletics to an NAI member by 2005, and then in 2018, so 13 years later, they're now NCAA Division II. And I, as you say, upgrade. I don't know if it's an upgrade because we, mm-hmm. I, I love the NAI. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. It has its, it has its own way of doing things. But um, if you're not doing it at a very high level, you're you're not having a good experience for your student athletes, and so. And that's one of the hardest parts, and they're learning that to a T right now. They were dominant in the NEI, and in the WAC, really, they're really dominant. And now in the NCAA Division II, yeah, a couple sports have really you know, kind of continued that success, but across the board, it's a struggle right now, and it's going to take them time because it took them time in the NEI to get acclimated, and then they started controlling that. It's going to take them time. I have no doubt that they're going to get there um, to where they're dominating the GLIAC and in a lot of different sports, but it's – it's a lot tougher competition with the Grand Valleys and the Fair States and mm-hmm. Wayne's. I mean, the, the schools that you're competing against are four, five, six, ten times larger than Davenport. I mean, Grand Valley's 20, 26,000 students. I mean, it's incredible uh, how big the schools that you're competing with are. But I think as sports fits into a campus, different campuses are different. On the, I'm sorry, as sports fits into the culture of your campus, different campuses see things in different ways uh and 
it's in the whack right now. You didn't talk about it. You got so many schools that are just plugging money into into um, athletic programs. You got some schools that are using it strictly as an enrollment. And then you got a bunch of schools trying to figure out where do we go from here. And I think that's so intriguing about the small college landscape. How do they use athletics, not just as an enrollment driver, but how do they use athletics to shape their campus culture? And that's really important here at Cornerstone. So how are you using it to shape your campus culture? I mean, you're in a spot in Michigan to where you have have several NAI programs. You have Grand Valley in the area. You have Western Michigan. I mean, how do you break through the noise? Uh, if you know the answer to that, let me know uh, <laughs> to hear that. But, no, I think we, about a year ago, um, we sat down and said, who are we? Like, who is athletics at Cornerstone? We know who we are as an institution. Very um, – very much faith-oriented, very much led by our faith in Jesus Christ. And we're not shying away from that in any shape or form. So that is who we are as a school. Okay, how does athletics fit into that? How do how do we carry that through the rest of our campus culture? And it's not just come here and play sports. Our our vision and purpose is that we can have that and culture and that, that filters through to our campus where, one, you come in and you want to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing. We want our coaches to portray, our student athletes to portray. And then number two, you come to college to get a degree. I mean, that, nobody's shying away from that. Like you want to leave here in three, four, hopefully not five, but you know, the longer you're here, we want you to leave with a degree. Mm. And then third, we, we believe you can do those first two and do the third one to have a great athletic experience and to put your – your time and your energy and your resources into becoming a better basketball, softball, baseball player, whatever that may be. Uh, we believe that that's what we can do and showcase to the rest of our campus. And so with that mindset of serving and having a relationship with Jesus Christ, that filters through to our rest of our campus. And if we don't have that, we're kind of the, the uh, visual effect on campus because people see what our athletes are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to make sure that we keep that in perspective. Like that's what comes first. So for departments who have never had that talk of, of who we are, I mean, how do, where does, where's our role in all of this? And somebody might be out in the middle of nowhere. Somebody might be in a, in a populated area where there's 30, 40 different schools. I mean, how, what's the conversation starter look like and uh, how would somebody go about making an actual plan with that in mind? Yeah. When you look at who you are first, it helps you recruit the student athletes you want. I think that's the mindset that we, our coaches were very, I wouldn't say lost, but just like, okay, what are we recruiting to? Like, what, yeah. who are we? You know, you can recruit a basketball player. You can recruit a track athlete. You can recruit a softball player, whatever it is. Okay, we, we get that. But the type of person and the personality of that person and the inner, the heart of that person, that's who we want to focus on. And so we had to identify who we are to then re- attract that person. So we had to identify. We had to, we had to pinpoint what that answer was. And until you can do that, you're just recruiting players. You're recruiting. Yeah, guys that can play. Yeah, you're just recruiting athletes at that point. And when you identify who you are away from the sport, because our identity shouldn't be wrapped up into who we are on the court. That's so it's so important about our mission and, and purpose here at Cornerstone. I don't want to I don't want to talk to a kid as a basketball player. I want to talk to them as a young man or a young woman. 
And I think that's so important to remember. That's true whether you're faith believing or not. Like every person, every basketball player has a story that doesn't involve sports. Every, you know, softball player, baseball, whatever it might be, they all have a story away from their sport. What is that story? That's what you need to remember when you're recruiting student athletes to come to your school. Awesome. Well, I want to kind of ask you some more things about your career path before we talk about your transition a little bit. Um, Coming back to Cornerstone, first of all, what did it mean to you to come back to your alma mater? Mm. It's great. Um, It's been – it's hard because Davenport and Cornerstone are rivals. So people that are out there listening that – like they were separated by about five miles, maybe 10 at most. Um, and Davenport came into the whack and took control. Like I mentioned earlier, they became a dominant force across the board in every sport. And so one of the biggest things that I had to do coming back was I knew everybody at Davenport and I knew everybody at Cornerstone because they're so connected in a rivalry way. And that was hard. I'm not going to lie. That was not easy um, because it wasn't like I was, I didn't, want to leave Davenport necessarily or want like full heartedly to come back to Cornerstone. I just felt that was where God was leading me and my family. Uh, and coming back has been such a awesome experience. Um, one for my family. And that's the reason why I left Davenport. I mean, from a career move, you think of, okay, Davenport is definitely on the upswing going on division two. And you, you look at that and I, and I was an assistant AD and I'd been there for almost eight years and you come to Cornerstone kind of a still, flourishing WAC program, NAI, you think, oh, career-wise, it makes, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But for my family and what meant most to me, it made 100% sense. And so I've never regretted a day that's gone by. Yeah, would I like to win as much as Davenport does? Sure, no doubt. Uh, the year that I left, they won their first NAI national championship. Men's soccer won it about a month and a half after I left Davenport. I'm like, guess they just needed to get rid of me. They yeah. won NAI championships. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we finished runner-up in quite a few sports when I was there, uh, and won some club titles in, in hockey, lacrosse, cheerleading, stuff like that. Um, but not in any eye. And so, yeah, they, the success I'm, I miss. Uh, I miss a lot of the people that are there at Danbury, and I still talk to a lot of them. Uh, but being here and being around my family uh, a lot more because I had a little more time. You go from 34 sports in here when I started here, we had 16. Uh, a little bit different. Uh, I had a little more time on, on the nights and weekends to spend time with my wife and kids. Um, but a, a lot of it was where I saw myself in my in my relationship with Jesus and, and having that where I was surrounded by more like-minded people that really pushed me to be better with my faith. And my family has seen that impact, and hopefully they've got impacted themselves from our coaches and our student-athletes. We talk a lot about some of the goal setting here in the past month or so because of these new year's resolutions, which I well, don't like it, but that's a different story. Um, you you talk a little bit about envisioning yourself where you want to be, especially with your relationship with, with Jesus. Um, a lot of people are going to skip over this step, but vision for yourself and not even for your department. I mean, you're, you're in a head roll now. We're going to get to some of the future stuff here, but, uh, vision for yourself is absolutely important. And, uh, how do you exercise that, and how do you think other people should go about doing that? You got to know what you want. Mm-hmm. You got to know what you're what you're going towards. But I've always been like a big picture idea. Mm-hmm. I'm always like, okay, where could I go with this? And I've had I've had opportunities to talk with some Division two and Division one schools about working there. 
but you got to know what you want. And I feel like in today's day and age, especially I think in the sports information world, and I've talked about this with many people uh, across the board, like guys like Sam Atkinson, who's on the Cosida officer rotation, Lenny Reich from Mount Union. Uh, we talk about it a lot um, of kind of that comparison game of that um, where they think, oh, it's got to go D1 because I'm going to go hang out at, at the, the final four. I'm going to go uh, give it to be on ESPN. Or I'm, like, if that's what you want, go for it, 100%. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to be the all glory that you see shared via social media because social media, we only share usually what the best things that are happening in our lives are. And you rarely share the, the con, the bus ride to the airport, the flight to get on. And you're doing that all the time in a division one, you're away from your family, you're away from your kids. Uh, Cause you go everywhere with those teams. And you know, that working at the division one level, like you see that, especially from some of your main sport SIDs, gosh, I don't know how they have a personal life because mm-hmm. they're so invested into the 24 seven part of their job. And, I think if you know what you want or you think you know what you want, go after it. Uh, if you don't, then find something that you love doing and just keep going at it until, until something, the light goes off and says, you know what, I'm going to go for that. But we've talked about that a lot. Like I said, Lenny, Lenny Sam and I go back and forth on that all the time about the D1 isn't the light. Cause I mean, Sam has a great opportunity with where he's at. Lenny is doing fantastic work. They're both working in division three schools. Like, yeah, it's tough at times because you got to do, a, like I said, a multitude of things. You wear a lot of hats. But just making a huge impact on the campuses that they work at. And I think that should be what your desire should be. How can you make an impact wherever you go? And if you feel like that's a Division One level and you want to be up there, go for it. I'd support that. But just be cautious. It may not be as all grand and glory as it sounds. Yeah. Uh, we talk a little bit. I talk with some people off, off times. Um Making the big time where you are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like being in love with Cornerstone just as much as you're in love with Indiana University needs to be something that you have to be fully invested in, I think. so. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk about that transition to AD a little bit. A lot of people will be able to go back to the episode I've got uh, linked in the show notes um, to kind of listen to your journey of how being an SID. But I want to talk about the transition that you took of being – from SID to AD. Mm-hmm. One, how do you think the SID position prepared you for being an athletic director? I mean, we talked about wearing the many hats, but a little bit uh, outside of that, or maybe touch on that again if you want. And two, how did this position, how did this opportunity come open for you? Mm. Uh, one is probably a little bit of repetitive of what I've talked about a little bit already. One yeah. of the organizational skills. Um, two, I think the the wearing of many hats, you just learn what's going on in a department and on your campus a lot more than if you're in a different role before you become an AD. And then three, I think just the, the marketing aspect, um, the branding aspect, like what do you want for the department? I think that's huge is that I've made that transition from sports information to athletic director. Um, even a few months before I was named the AD, I had no desire to be the AD. Um, I didn't even think about it. It uh-huh. didn't even cross my mind. Um, people had asked me, oh, that's the natural progression. You'll become the AD. And I'm like, I love what I'm doing. I love sports information. Uh, but as I've gotten into the AD spot, 
I, I view it as, okay, I'm, I'm challenged a lot more than I have been the last probably five years. When being in sports information, um, I, I was pretty good at what I did. I don't see I was great. There's definitely people I looked up to a lot. At the small college level, I think I had a pretty good thing going. Um, but I, I kind of just became comfortable, um, and I don't necessarily like that for my life. I yeah. think we learn a lot more when, we're in, when, we're, when we are in an income, uncomfortable state. Um, that's when we grow and learn and do a lot of different things. And the AD role has definitely made me uncomfortable in a lot of ways, and I never thought it would. And I'm learning. I'm growing as a person, uh, not just as a professional, but as a person. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest aspects that I've learned in that transition. And it came about kind of in a, in a different way. We were looking at I was actually fighting for my GA at the time, who is now our sports information director. I fought for him to be, have a full-time role. He was graduating in the upcoming, like, May. Uh, and I said, we got to find a full-time role. This guy's awesome. Like, Jesse Campbell is fantastic. He loves this place. Um, and he sees a lot of my vision of what we want sports information-wise for Cornerstone. So I went into meetings of, like, how can we keep Jesse when he graduates in May? And the, the AD that was above me at that time – he was, he was the AD and the student development guy. And he had two extremely full-time roles on our campus. So I think that opened their eyes. Like, okay, if Aaron's ready to take a little bit different of a role, because I had talked about me taking kind of a, an associate AD role mm-hmm. uh, of overseeing all marketing communications and game operations, and then having Jesse just doing sports information specifically as kind of an entry-level position. Um, that gave them the opportunity to like, oh, okay, well, why don't we – why don't we look at this as you being the AD, Jesse becoming the sports information director, and then then my boss going back to just student development. So, and it it worked. It didn't feel like it was going to, but it, that that natural progression progression just made it there. What uh, what was kind of going through your head when they said, "Hey, how about we just make you AD?" <laughs> I think I texted my wife, and we got we're like, "Whoa, okay." <laughs> and I said, "When do you need to know by?" And they said, "By tomorrow." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> So it just was kind of a fast, um, kind of jumped into it without putting a ton of time and thought into it and prayer into it, which I look back on going, I, I kind of regret not doing. But um, I think to have the ability to lead the department the way that I want to, I'm, I'm so excited for it. And so uh, it has been a battle over the last year and then 13 months, but it's it's been great. It really has. How is your relationship now with your SID office? I mean, you get to, you got to keep Jesse, which I have not met yet, but you got to keep him. Um, and now you've got all this experience of, hey, I was in your position. Uh, I can make this better for you. How about you do this? Uh, you know, whatever. Maybe to some ADs that are listening now, um, what is your ideal relationship with the sports information office look like for you now? Yeah. Um, probably a couple different ways that I look at it. One is I'm trying to protect Jesse into growing into a professional that doesn't put him in a position where he doesn't like what he does. Um, sports information probably of any profession within athletics probably is seeing some of the highest burnout rate that I've ever seen. Um, and so and I, I kind of got to a stage in my career where I was pretty burned out because, like I said, six sports to 34 sports mm-hmm. in eight years uh, and a lot of success. We're at Davenport. We're in every conference championship game, every national tournament. It was hard. Um, 
and the support necessarily didn't, it wasn't there to continue. Like we didn't grow in support as we grew in support numbers. Um, and so I want to protect him and his livelihood, just like I want to protect, I have three assistants, um, Courtney, Jesse, and Trey. And I want to make sure that they are, I don't believe in what work-life balance, how it's defined, especially the Cosado world is defining it in a way that I don't agree with. Um, work-life balance there's no such thing. Like there's literally no such thing. But yeah, that's all they, that's all NACTA and Cosetta. How do we get work-life balance? Uh, there's no such thing. Um, not in 2020. Uh, work-life balance is 100% what you make of it. It's your decision to do the more work. It's your decision to not put the computer away when you get home. And I'm very conscious of that for my three assistants because I didn't, I didn't do that well when I was growing up in sports information and coming up in the field, and I want to make sure that they're doing. So that's the first relationship I have with the sports information office is making sure that they're getting time off, taking, you know, not just overdoing things. The second part is he sees my vision. He knows what my vision is. He worked for me for five years as a student and then as a graduate assistant. So I don't even have to tell him kind of what my direction is. He knows it. Um, he kind of thinks half my brain, which is scary. Um, <laughs> but he kind of spits out things before I even finish them. So, um, which is weird. Um, but he, he's so great in leading that group of students. And that's been the biggest part of, I think, just keeping involved with the students, surrounding yourselves, surrounding yourself with help any way you can to make the big picture go around. If you're trying to do every social media and every article and every video and every, you can't do it. It's just not possible in 2020. And so uh, he's surrounded himself. I'll make sure that he gets surrounded with help um, and trying to provide that help for him. So, Speaking of surrounding yourself with support and, and people that kind of buy into you, I mean, uh, you've had to hire a couple coaches now. I mean, what's that hiring process like, especially like, hey, this is where we want to go as a university, as an athletic department. Um, are you in or not, basically, is kind of the thought that I'm having. So. What's that kind of recruitment look like for you? And what do you look for in people when uh, kind of completing the vision of the department? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the biggest things for me is how do we continue to bring in people that want to buy into the culture that we want? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm not necessarily hiring based off of skill of X's and O's coaching ability i want to find people that fit the culture that we want for cornerstone and i know that's probably the cliche of what's out there right now you yeah. want to find like coaches want to find recruits that fit their culture coaches want to find strength people that fit their culture i, I get that and that's not what i'm saying i'm saying that we are trying to have that mindset that our culture is very and driven with the spiritual aspect the academic aspect and then the athletic aspect and it comes in that order and yes, I know that might sacrifice some winning per se in terms of like, okay, you're not finding the best X's and O's and game coach or whatever that might be. But if you miss the first two pieces to that, what are we doing college athletics for? I think that's the question we have to ask ourselves. And so during the hiring process, almost all of our questions are on one, what is your relationship with Jesus Christ? Two, how do you want to find people that want to be a part of that? on your team in terms of student athletes and assistant coaches and then three how do you fit in our department how are you going to interact with our coaches and then 3.1 if you want or three position or point a would be can you coach 
Can you, yeah. can, you actually, can you actually train somebody in the track? Can you actually teach somebody how to hit a baseball? Can you do those things? Um, but that's the mindset that I want to have going forward because that's what's going to help filter our athletic department on our campus. If we're only recruiting athletes just to recruit athletes, we're not going to filter into our campus the way that I want them to. Um, so our coaching hires have been so great over the last you know, six to 12 months since I've been able to make those decisions. And I get people involved in that. I involve people across our campus. I don't know how many other departments. And I involve people from advancement and student development and admissions and faculty. I involve all those departments because I want their their input on how this staff, how this coach will work with our campus community. Awesome. Well, I got one more question for you before we uh, got to move on here because I think we're pressing up against time. But um, we talked off here about kind of your adjustment year. You're just kind of getting a feel for things. Um, and now you're about 13 months in. And now you're finally able to do some things that, that you want to do. I mean, what does that look like? I mean, uh, what can we expect to see out of Cornerstone Athletics with you at the helm? Yeah. Um, my first day on the job, I got into this office that I'm in now. And I wrote five big goals on the board. Um, I'm very much a goal-oriented, big-picture, big-vision person, um, and I wrote five goals. We got two of those goals down. We got three more to go uh, of those big goals from day one. And one of the biggest things that we're working on is that I want our staff to work on is how are we serving the Grand Rapids community? How are we being hospitable to – uh, the local high schools, the local youth organizations, um, the schools in general, elementary schools, how are we serving them? Uh, we're in Grand Rapids where we've got like seven schools within six miles of each other. Hmm. Um, and it's just, it's hard because everybody's trying to get the same attention from the local community. I mean, just along the East Belt Line here, we have one, two, three, we have four four schools just in a probably an eight mile stretch of one road uh with kuiper college cornerstone aquinas college and davenport and then you go just a little bit down the road you get grand valley and hope and ferris and grcc and there's just there's just so much competition for that how can we be hospitable and caring for the local community and i think that's one of the biggest things that i have and that's not even on my goals list. But then the second thing was, how can we provide a better experience for our student athletes with better facilities, um, better opportunities to get to improve what they're trying to do on our campus? Um, so you look at how can we get a turf field for our soccer teams? How can we get a better weight room for all of our athletes? How can we get a track for our track and field teams? We have one of the most successful track and field programs in the country. And yet we've never once had a track. Um, and so just those kind of things are, those are the big goals. And that's what we're trying to get. We've already made some pretty significant changes in terms of, um, you know, transportation contracts, strength and conditioning contracts. We're redoing our entire auxiliary gym. This uh, construction starts about a month and a half. And we're getting a whole new gym. And so things like that that are happening in a slow way, but they're, they're small pieces to what some of the big pictures that we have. Well, I'd like to touch this part of your view where I like to ask some fun questions. How does that sound for you? Good. All right. Well, uh, first one I have for you, uh, favorite memory in your professional tenure? Oh, man. Favorite <laughs> memory. I. It's got to be conventions. Okay. It has to be. Like, 
you mentioned those guys like Sam and Lenny, like, and there's so many other people, and I'm not going to just go out and name drop people, but there's so many people that you go to conventions and it just, it's that break from the everyday hustle of what we do. Because <laughs> um, it's a grind from August to, to June. Uh, and if you really want to be honest, it's, it's, tw- it's 12 months. But just the time at conventions uh, where you can just go and laugh and share stories and just be relaxed for a little bit. That's pro- that is definitely probably the highlights of since day one. I went to the first convention was 07. I think it was 07 in Tampa Bay, maybe, if I remember mm-hmm. right, or somewhere down there. Um, but the first one I remember the most is the San Antonio one. I think that was 2008. But now with, you know, Cosida and NACTA being together, I think that's a fantastic opportunity for me to stay in touch with all the sports information people because it's some of my best friends in the profession. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so in your mind, what traits or characteristics make a good SID? Traits or I thought this was fun. Uh, <laughs> traits or characteristics that make a good SID. Um, detail-oriented is probably one of the first. Um, organized, got to be organized. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are probably the best two. Okay. If you don't have those two, you're probably going to struggle. Uh, I don't think you have to be like a people's person. You don't have to be an outgoing extrovert. Um, I would say majority of the SIDs that I know aren't um, in that capacity. I'm kind of the weird one in that way. Um, but technology savvy is definitely important because there's so many avenues to reach people that we didn't used to have. Yeah, awesome. Uh, now this should be a fun question for you. What's one thing you're interested in to learn more about in your new role? Maybe something you didn't get to do before. say how the overall university marketing plan works Hmm. how does athletics fit into the overall university market i think i started to tap into that but like how can we use athletics to be a driving marketing force for our campus uh it happened at davenport i think it first started at cornerstone but now it's like how can we expand that even more I'm, i'm eager to learn how we can continue to do that in a bigger way okay uh, that bobblehead collection, how did it get started, and what's the uh, the addiction for you? The bobblehead collection, um, they can't see this. This is just no. audio. Yeah. So the bobblehead collection is um, my kids got me my own bobblehead for Father's Day. Wow. And less than 10 years ago, my oldest is 10, my youngest is 8, so it had to be before that, or since then. And I just I just kind of started collecting them. One random one popped up, but... We have uh, local uh, minor league teams here. I actually mm-hmm. work for the Whitecaps, a baseball team in the summer. Um, so they've done white, they've done bobbleheads every year, four or five. The Griffins, a hockey team in the area, they do bobbleheads. So I've gotten a couple of theirs. Uh, and then every time I came to convention, there seemed to be the there was the uh, the something corner, the collateral corner. Yeah. Uh, where you bring something of your own and you take something back of something else, whether a media guide or a, a poster or whatever it might be. Um, and the bobbleheads, I feel like I almost always got, I had one or two that I'd come back with almost every year. And then it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And then people started like sending me. It was weird. Um, <laughs> one of my former student workers at Davenport became an assistant AD at Rogers State. And um, they do a bobblehead every year uh, for a different sport. And I think they've actually stopped it because they ran out of sports that they did it for. But um, Tim Hansen was that person, and then Sarah Braun is still there. 
um, at Roger State. Um, she's I still get a note from her every single Christmas with a little staff picture, uh, and I'm thankful. That's those relationships that you build mm-hmm. um, at convention, right? And so they've sent me a bunch of them. And then everywhere I go, if I can get a cheap bobblehead, I'll buy one. You know, it's five, ten bucks, I'll buy it. So, yeah, awesome. Uh, I got my University of Michigan one this past uh, winter here. So I'm a big Ohio State fan. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Um, so I never had a Michigan one. So people joked. They're like, hey, uh, would you put a Jim Harbaugh one up? I said, sure, let's go. <laughs> and uh, they, I got sent one of my best friends sent me a Bo Schembechler. Uh, who came from Ohio, by the way. I just want to make sure everybody knows that. The best things that happen to Michigan come from Ohio, uh, including myself. I was born in Ohio. Mm. Um, but Bo Schembechler is my first Michigan one. And then I got a John Beeline one as well. Two coaches that I highly respect in the world, even though they coach in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. When you have time, what's, uh, what's something you do to have fun? Hiking traveling i love hiking everywhere we go travel wise we find a hike so colorado arizona um we go anywhere we can go to get outdoors and hike and camp and that kind of stuff my wife and kids love that aspect we just got back from arizona about a month ago and had a blast out in arizona and the grand canyon and things like that so uh next time someone's in the grand rapids area what's your restaurant or bar recommendation restaurant you got to go to Brands. You got Brands is a great little steakhouse. It's a cheap steak, but it's good. Uh, it's like a twelve dollar, ten ounce maybe. Mm. Um, it's a good little sizzler. Um, great little local restaurant bar type atmosphere, uh, sports bar kind of thing. Um, it's a nice little restaurant. There's a couple of them that are around downtown. So okay, good spot. If anybody had any uh, questions for you, want to follow up with you, would be the best way to do it. Uh, probably social media, Facebook, Twitter, um, Twitter, Aaron Sagraves 26 is my Twitter handle, uh, or email, shoot me an email. I, I love one of my biggest things that passions that I've had is getting students involved and getting young people involved in the profession, uh, and trying to be a mentor to them. Mm. Um, and so I think in this, now I'm getting poured back in a different way from athletic directors that are pouring into me. Uh, like I poured into sports information directors that were younger than me and I'm still young. I mean, I, I, I am crazy to think that I'm a veteran in this business, but um, which I'm not. I see a long way to go. But I think just anybody who wants to reach out, I love conversation and love trying to figure. And I'm a constant learner as well. I love reading books and learning from other people. And I have no hesitation to reach out to somebody in a major division one. And how do you do what you do? Why do you do it? What's the steps you take to get there? So just constantly be a learner. I love that aspect. Awesome. Well, uh, Aaron, thank you very much for coming on for round two. Uh, We all do very much appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me.